So we're going to read from John 14, 1 through 6 this morning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go back to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that so you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, Alan said something real interesting in the, the room in there. He says, uh, you know, I want to focus on, uh, we focus on that the, the Lord's coming back to get us. And if uh, those of you that remember us, we've left somebody here in y'all's care that, uh, that's waiting for the Lord to come back. Praise God this morning. Amen. And the whole church said, and, and I, uh, Lee, I have to take exception with one thing you said. Aaron hadn't done an okay job. Aaron has done a great job. Somebody say amen. We're really thankful. You, you never do know the seeds, right? Um, my guess is when you left, you never thought your daughter would be on staff here, even for a summer. And as you sit where you are and you raise your children, you have no idea what God's got in store for them. And it may be being here on staff as a youth or a children's intern, but it may be something, in fact, looking at my own life and my own children far beyond anything and what's the scripture say that we could ask or imagine. And we're thankful that the the plans for our children are not limited by our imagination, but expanded by God's great imagination. Amen and amen. And uh, make no mistakes, uh, part of that seed planting process of what they're going to be is going on in these weeks at camp. And so, uh, good things, good things. It is amazing how simply the gospel writers record the ascension of Jesus. The resurrection is recorded with earthquakes and, and light and, 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 and guards, Roman guards falling over dead and, you know, they, these kinds of things. I guess they're, they're temple guards. Temple guards falling over like they were dead and things like that. The ascension is just kind of, and we were there and Jesus took off. I don't know if you've ever flown, but taking off takes a significant amount of effort. If you've ridden in one of Southwest 737s, you feel a little bit of vibration. I will promise you it is nothing compared to the idea of being in a single-engine prop plane and rolling down that runway and that engine giving it all it's got and the whole thing is shaking and you're like, there's no way we're ever going to get off the ground. And then suddenly takes flight. If you've ever watched one of those videos where, uh, you know, jet packs, how many of you were little imagined, I'm going to build a jet pack, and you, you know, you put the cardboard box on the back, and you had arms around the front. I don't know if anybody's seen any of the actual implementations of this, but it is not a safe thing. So when Jesus takes off in the ascension, the gospel writers just say, and he went. That's not the way artists portray it. The artists have to make sure that we have angels all around and clouds all around and all kinds of, of things that get kind of added to the, the picture. It's almost as if Jesus couldn't just rise up in the clouds, rise up in the air, 
I love the message of the angels. He will return in the same way. And there's very significant kind of theology, the idea that, that what waits for us in the future is not a empty just spirits and ghosts, but is a bodily thing if we are going to become like Jesus. But the impact of the ascension is not so much how Jesus got up. And by the way, I need a West Texas sunrise, sunset, excuse me, not a sunrise, West Texas sunset. That's what I think kind of needed to be there. The only problem was if he was standing on the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem kind of blocks the West sun. So I'm not sure exactly how that happened, but that's the way I need it to be, if you, if you must know. But it is the words, again, having spent, invested three years, having not just given his uh, were effort and his sweat, but he gave his blood and his flesh to impact these men that were surrounding him there on the mountain. It is that message that he gave, and Matthew records it this way. And be sure of this. I kind of see this, he's already lifted off. Does that make sense? He's already up. So that when he says, and listen to this, their attention is extremely focused. And listen to this. Be sure of this. I am with you. As he leaves, he says, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. That phrase, end of the age, has all kinds of implications. And probably we don't ever translate it as fully as it. And I will be with you Always is one of the translations. I will be with you wherever you go and whatever you do. And no longer matter how long time goes on, I will be with you. It is a powerful sense and we hear it as Jesus' words. And maybe we don't recognize that it's an echo from all the way back in the book of Genesis. God calls Moses at the burning bush and he says, I'm going to go with you. Moses transitions and, and leaves and Joshua takes his place. And God says, I'm going to be with you. He says to David when he comes on the throne, I'm going to be with you. He says to Solomon, I'll be with you. Very powerfully, Isaiah. And again, it's not this, this flowers and, and wonderful hallelujahs chorus that they're singing for Isaiah. He tells Isaiah, you're going to speak and nobody's going to listen. It's never going to break through to the heart what you're going to say, but they're going to store up your words and it's going to change the world. It's going to point people toward Jesus. But in that process of saying they're not going to listen, but don't fret. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard for me to believe that I'm doing the right thing when people aren't listening. It's hard as a parent to kind of say, I must be doing this the right way because it doesn't seem to engage the kids, my children, the way I want it to. When you became a parent, to a certain extent, you need to hear the words of Scripture to Isaiah, right? They're going to grow up and eventually they're not going to listen, you're going to think. They're not listening to a word you're saying, but I am with you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that throughout your whole life, Jesus... Through the Spirit, God, through His presence, says, I walk with you. Just because you don't think you're making a difference, just because you don't think anybody's listening, just because, just because, doesn't mean that I'm not with you. Jeremiah will repeat the same kind of calling. Again, 
very much a, a calling to say, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to be with you. And so part of the message of Jesus as he ascends saying, I'm going to be with you. Uh, don't, don't forget that I'm going to be with you. He connects the apostles, this new generation of people who are going to have to, to a certain extent, do the most difficult job there is in this whole process because Jesus revealed God's kingdom, but he's going to leave in physical form, gave his life on the cross, left in physical form, and said, you guys have to take it from here. I don't know, there's, there's one thing about kind of stepping into something that's kind of broken anyway. Does that make sense? That, well, whatever I do with it is okay. And I think that's maybe where David was. And that's where Isaiah or Jeremiah was. The apostles, Jesus had gotten it all right. Amen? And he says, now it's up to you guys to finish the job. But I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. Those words had to have made a huge difference. Because those men will give their lives, just as Jesus did, for the gospel. As we hear these words of scripture, I am with you to the end, always, wherever. Are they just comments on history? Again, a set of words spoken to a set of guys on the top of a hill. Or are they words that speak to us? I have to constantly ask, is it speaking to me? And is it speaking to you? Yes, you're right. The Holy Spirit led them from there. And we see this, this incredible change. Again, Peter, who is ready to deny Jesus three times, which we talked about in Bible class this morning, to Peter, who will say to the rulers, you know what, you can do whatever you want to with me, but I'm not going to quit talking about Jesus. That's a change. And the Spirit is part of that change. But it is also true that the apostles clearly heard these last words. And they carried them with them wherever they went. To a certain extent, I, I, my complaint about the New Testament is that we don't have the story of all the apostles as they went in their different places. And that's God in his wisdom, and I trust that. But I wish I knew more of those stories because it is the story of people who heard what God said, heard what Jesus said, heard his prayer for them. Don't forget, I'm with you. And it changed their lives. And not only did it change their lives, but in reality it changed generations. Hundreds of now, of generations of people who have followed in their footsteps as they followed in Jesus' footsteps. And who have followed and trusted their message just as they trusted Jesus' message. And we depend on those words as well. Amen? That he will be with us wherever we go. Hear those words that, that Lee just read. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now he was speaking that in a very specific setting. They're, they're in the garden. He's told them he's going away. He's told them he's going to be betrayed. There's all kinds of things that he said to them that makes this a very troubling place. And he speaks into that moment, but he speaks again across the century and the millennia to us. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'll come back to you, come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. Do we trust these words of presence? Do we trust these words of, I'm not going to leave you, you're not going to be left behind. You're coming eventually to be with me. That's a promise, 
And that's a prayer that continues. You know, I love the narratives of, of children in, in the Gospels where Jesus interacts with children. It's just beautiful to me, and I think uh, fill up that idea that he said, if, you, if you're going to come follow me, you've got to be like one of these children. And so I'm, I migrate to those children's stories. And to a certain extent, uh, this week at camp, we're teaching these children, and we want them to see Jesus, but we, we don't want them to, to harden their hearts to them. We want them to continue in that softness and dependence on who he is. We love those narratives. But do you ever picture yourself? Do you ever picture yourself as crawling up in Jesus' arms? Now, let's be sure and say, Alan Ritchie in his current state is a little bit much for Jesus to carry. Pick me up. So there needs to be a vision of when I was a child. When I was young enough that I could go jump in his arms and not break his back. I, those are all bad illustrations. But the point is, do you ever see yourself in that security? Do you ever see yourself in that warmth? Do you ever see yourself in that sense of, oh, isn't it beautiful what Jesus, as he took the children into his arms and blessed them, do you see yourself in his arms? Do you hear his words of, well done? Do you hear his words of, don't forget, God loves you. Do you hear of these words of, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be nearby. You see, it's a powerful reminder. If we can see ourselves in that situation. If, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, we, we do very little envisioning back to when, right? We may remember back when we were younger and more fit. We may remember back when we were stronger or when our memory was better. Those kinds of things. But we don't necessarily want to go back to when we were six or seven or eight. We really don't want to go back to when we were in junior high. Amen? But it is that sense of humility. Of saying, I do want to step back into a dependence. I want to step back into a vulnerability. I want to step back into that idea of, I want to be a child to go running into Jesus' arms. Because the promise of Scripture is that those arms are open and waiting for us to come. Amen? That sense of incredible security. But it should testify to us the words of Scripture and the prayers of the New Testament, one particular we're going to read in just a second, should testify to us that we are not just having a feeling of security, but in reality we are secured in Christ. Now, you're going to have to forgive me again. I keep putting these words up that aren't right grammatically, but they're intended to make a point. So I'll ask you to walk with me. That he secures us, amen? But that ED, what does is, what is putting it in the past tense mean? You say, well, wait a minute. I haven't, I haven't gotten all the way home. I'm not all the way there. No, but the words of Scripture say, that we are, our security with him is full and complete. As those who have put him on in baptism, as those who have set our tack, our direction, our compass towards what he wants us to be. Not about our failures, not about our stepping this way or that. It's about that we're not going to give up on that goal. 
And in that place, he has us in the palm of his hands. He has us wrapped up in his loving arms. He has us not just secure, but fully secured. And we're thankful for that very great power that he brings to us. I wanted to point you forward, but I want you to hear. It's this little bitty book. Just before we get to the end of the New Testament, the end of all of it, when Revelation wraps it all up, and if you, if you flip in too fast, you're going to miss it. It's a book called Jude. It's unique. It has no, no chapters. It's just one quick word. It, it's, it's a message that would be very much at home in our society. If you can't get it on one page, it's too long, right? Uh, they had a little more time to sit and read, so you have things like, Genesis, and you have things like Isaiah that goes on for 60-whatever chapters. This one's just one. And he closes it with two phrases. Prayers. For the people he was writing to, probably a brother of Jesus, probably his name actually Judas. Um, Thought is that he maybe changed it because Judas was well-known as not a good guy. But Judas, brother of James, brother of Jesus, Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence. What's that last line? Say it with me. Without fault and with great joy. This is not a message about what might be. This is not a message about what could be for God's people, for the people who are following Jesus. This is a message of, this is my prayer. Will you hear it and live into it? The challenge is we are listening to, to, are we listening to what we hear? We always have that, that stumbling block of, Oh yeah, scripture says it, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I buy into it. We always have that sense of, well, yes, if I was good enough, that would be true. And God said, if you were good enough, I got this. So I ask you if you are hearing the secured language of scripture in Jesus. Because I believe it can change how we walk and how we live, but it particularly should change us in how it lifts our hearts to where God wants them to be, not in the vulnerability that Satan wants to hold us back with. Three ways that we hear being secured in Jesus. We're listening. We let it become part of us. First of all, it has to begin with a profound understanding of it's God, not me. If my security is dependent on me, how safe is my security? And the answer is, no way, no. I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Internet is a really, really dangerous place. Is anybody aware of that? Google reminds me every time I open up my Gmail, we've got all your passwords secure and safe and all those kinds of things. And, and by the way, you can laugh at that. I understand you Internet people laugh at the idea that Google is safe, and that's okay. But I want you to know that Google's doing a whole lot better job than I would do of keeping myself safe on the Internet. Somebody can say amen to that. It's not even in the same realm, is it? If left to myself, not. 
If left to God, yes. And that is the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is not about get this right and get that right and get the other right so that you can be right. The story of the gospel is that Jesus is right, amen? And that Jesus gave his life for you so that you can be with him and be right. Baptism isn't a sprinkling, not because we have a a corner on the market of doing it exactly in the right form. Baptism is a sprinkling because I want Jesus to be all over me, amen? I'm going to go down in there and everything's going to get wet. And just as the way death completely swallowed Jesus, we are raised to a new life and so we come back up out of the water. It is about God, not me. And you will never find a place of security until that message penetrates your heart. And I would challenge you that if you've lived your whole life, and I, and I have these conversations with people at times, yes, I, I think I'm okay, but, but I'm not sure I've done enough. And the answer is, you haven't. God has. But if you're living in that place, there's a conversion that needs to be place, taken place. You're never going to earn it. You're never going to be good enough for it. You can accept it and let it change your life. Every single one of us, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, need to understand. And maybe that, as much as anything, when Jesus said you need to become like a little child, because a little child knows not getting it done if it's not for mom and dad. And we grow up to be adults and say, I can do this myself. God says, I need you to go back to that place of needing me every single day. Number two, if we're to step into that place of security, there is absolutely no substitute for dwelling deeply in Scripture. I want to say to you that I believe the the primary core of the folks who struggle with that I'm not good enough stuff is that they kind of brush over Scripture as opposed to digging into it. Because when you read the stories of the Old Testament, you recognize that none of those people have got it together. There's a few exceptions that sort of step up to the plate and do a pretty good job. But everybody comes up short and it is only because God's going to see them through that any good thing happens. You don't get that from the bird's eye view. You don't get that from just kind of dabbling every once in a while. You get that because you dwell deeply in Scripture. You get that from dwelling deeply in the stories that God... And by the way, God didn't accidentally save these stories for us. God very purposely put this together for us. And he didn't just put together the last 27 books and we can ignore the first 36 books. That's the wrong numbers. Sorry, 16... Never mind. I get it wrong every time. He gave it all to us. And he gave it for us to dwell in richly and deeply. And what I can promise you is that if you make time daily, time daily to dig and dwell richly and deeply in that word, the message through His Holy Spirit of I've got you, the sense of security we can have in God and the sense that we are secured with him 
will penetrate your life. I invite you to that journey. Not a journey that has a finish line, but a journey that takes our whole life. Finally, and I don't know if, if this fits with it, but it seems to me to be really important to say out loud. If we're going to hear the security that we have in Jesus, we have to be open about our doubts. About our doubts in God and about our doubts in ourselves. See, what we are convinced by Satan is that if we have a doubt about is God good enough, is God big enough, will God really come through on his promises, we better hide those because if I share those with anybody, somebody will come back wagging their finger at me or I'll seem like I'm not strong enough or I'll, I'll be vulnerable. And Satan convinces us that we can hide that. In fact, what Satan really wants to do is to convince you that you can't even share that with God. Now, dwelling deeply in his word will, will bust that myth wide open. If you spend any time in the Psalms, you read of people of God. And by the way, be sure you understand, God wanted you to read the Psalms that say, Woe is me, what am I going to do? Are you there? Will you ever hear me? Will you ever respond? God wants you to hear those Psalms because he wants to reassure you that your doubts are no match for his love. Your doubts are no match for his love. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and we can think about a lot of ways that those burdens can be with us, but I will promise you, if you're one of those people who's wired to ask hard questions and who's wired to kind of have doubts about things, to question things, to say, what if, what if, what if, what if? I gave birth to one of those. If you're one of those people, one of the burdens are those what if questions. And Jesus says, I got you. There is no one that your questions about do you hear me, God? Are you acting, God? Are you real, God? Is your love enough? There is no one to share those better than God himself. And what God has bound us together as his body to be is to be that sounding board. If somebody comes to you and say, I'm kind of really struggling with whether God can really be alive and working if these things are happening in my, our lives, please participate in that conversation. Please listen well. And whatever you say, make sure that you say at least this one thing. Have you told God about it? Have you laid it out in your heart of hearts? Have you cried as you prayed to God because you want him to hear your doubts and your burdens? Because his love is always bigger than our doubts. And his strength is always enough to carry, by the way, to carry you even with every single doubt you have. But see, the doubt isn't just in God, is it? The doubt is in ourselves sometimes. Am I? Will I? Do I? Can I? I love the words of 1 John 3.20. 
John is very much talking to a group of people that, say, that he's constantly saying to them, you need to understand, I know there are people that are questioning whether you got the right message and whether you're doing the right thing, and I just want to tell you, Jesus is real, just exactly the way I told him about you, and if you're living lives of love, then you are inside of what he wants you to be about. Constantly reminding him, you're okay. But he has this little line in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Right before it, he says, if your hearts don't condemn you, then you can stand in, in courage. In, 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 uh, you can stand with courage before God. And then the next line is, but if your heart does, and he uses the word, if your heart does continue, condemn you, God is bigger than your heart. God knows your heart. And he knows who you are. Now, again, be sure and say, I can get in real trouble with that real fast, okay? First of all, there's me on the outside and then there's me in the heart. And it doesn't really get any better, right? When you kind of dig into my, my self, my true self. And so I can worry, oh, God knows my heart. Well, that must mean that I'm in worse shape than I would have been if he just is looking at the outside things. Except that's not it, is it? It's about a heart that's received Jesus. It's about a heart that Jesus has covered with his blood. It's about a heart that says, no, no, you're mine. I've got you. That is the heart that God sees. No matter how much your insecurity says, I'm not good enough. I can't do it the way God wants me to. My thoughts aren't exactly where they need to be. God says, no, I've got you. It's very interesting as you look at the prayers of the New Testament, particularly the prayers and the letters of the church to the churches. Because what you see very regularly is in the teaching part, Paul will say, you need to get your life aligned with Christ. You need to be more gentle and selfless. You need to put away these sinful things, various things that he'll say. But when he prays, it's about, I hope you know Jesus better. I hope you know that God has blessed you. I hope you know that his grace is sufficient for everything you need and the prayers that you understand that you are secure in Christ. The prayers aren't, I hope you get your stuff straight. Now, you're right. The letters to the, to the churches from Revelation are pretty confrontational. I'm not, I'm not bunking that. But when these letters speak to us, particularly in these closing words of each letter, Know that God is good enough. Know that you are in him. And know that he's never going to let you go. You are secure. I love the way Jude 25 ends. Sorry. He is the one who's able to present you without fault. I don't know if you're interested in a relationship with somebody who sees you without fault. But that's a really blessed place to be. And it's not a place that very many people get to. But if you would like to start that journey to a relationship with the God of the universe that sees you as whole, sees you as his, sees you not because of your mistakes and your flaws, but sees you because of Jesus' blood, sees you through his eyes of love, 
and we would be glad to help you in that process. We would invite you to come during the singing of the song, which is going to be in just a second. But we would invite you wherever you are to engage in that conversation with the people that are near you, that you trust. If you're online or if for whatever reason sometime later you want to start that conversation, you can text the number 979-217-3300 and we'd be glad to start that conversation with you and see where God leads it. Before we sing the invitation, I want to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to finish out the book of Jude together. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus our Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. I am a sheep and the Lord.